1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: So way back then, in the Garden of Eden, the decision to obey or sin, it all came down to one simple question. Was God really good or not? Was God really bad? Was he really keeping good knowledge from Eve so that her eyes could be open and she would know what's really good for her to know? What, or was God really bad in keeping, keeping her in the dark from what would be good for her to know? And that same question has just never changed. Come down through the ages. God says that to all virgins. You know, it's good for them. It's good for you to know sexual union before you get married. The same question comes out: is God really bad? Is he keeping this good pleasure from me? Is he really bad? Is he keeping me in the dark about sexual knowledge? And that was the same question that faced Eve about eating the forbidden fruit, and she decided to believe the devil, and she concluded that that he was right. Why? Because it was hard for her. It was hard for her to see that beautiful fruit and to think that it was good to eat and make one wise and that God was bad to forbid her to eat such a wonderful fruit. And that's the same decision that goes on today where, 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 with regard to sexual activity. And that basic core question of the goodness of God, it was on the table there for Abraham and Isaac there. Was God really bad or really good to require that Isaac be sacrificed? It was really hard for Abraham. It was hard for Abraham to look at his son and to think that he must be the one to to take Isaac's life and to make him a burnt offering. As as one parent came came up to me after the service last Sunday, Sunday and said that she couldn't imagine sacrificing her son. And it was really hard for Abraham, it was really hard for Isaac it was hard for Isaac to look at his young life and to think, he must be, be, he must be the sacrifice, He must die, he must be the burnt offering. And I was thinking, you know thinking about this, it reminded me of a dear believer. His name was Temeskin. got really close to Temeskin, an Ethiopian. He was 12 years old. When he developed, he was 12 years old, when he developed osteosarcoma in his right leg. He was living in a mud hut not very far from where we are in Ethiopia, one mountain over. He was living in a mud hut in Ethiopia when this happened. As a matter of fact, I remember him t- he t- trying to explain to me one time how he got to his village as opposed to where, where Scannabite's compound is located in Ethiopia. He says, well, you know, when you go outside of, of, of Addis, that place where they sell the donkeys, he said, you go that way, and you go instead of going that way. But anyways, that's where he was down there. Anyway, so he got this osteosarcoma, big, huge tumor on his leg, and the people said, you got to go to Addis Ababa. You know, to, to, and so he gets to Addis Ababa, and... drama, And he goes to the general hospital there, and they say, well, that's cancer, and, you know, unless you have that, unless you have your leg amputated off, you're going to die. And we only have two own surgeons here in in Ethiopia for 85 million people. And uh, they're all booked up for over a year, and you're going to die in nine months, and it's really expensive to transport a dead corpse back to your village. So if you don't mind, just please go back to your village and die there. And so, you know, everybody, but he trusted God. And everybody was crying, but he trusted God. And then they said, well, wait a minute. They said, we've heard that the Mother Teresa Hospital over there and another place, and we'll go over there. So they went over there to the Mother Teresa Hospital, which mainly has cancer patients, and they have a ward there of about 40 young kids with cancer. I had had privilege one time of speaking to them all. And anyway, so he was in this ward there with all these kids with cancer, and they were all looking at his big, huge lump on his leg. And, and, he, and he made friends with another fellow named Mohammed, who had the same osteosarcoma, and he, and he had his leg, left leg amputated. And so a doctor comes along, and, and he says, uh, "He says, uh, you know, I've never done an amputation before, but he said I'll give it a try," and, and he amputated Temeskin's right leg at the hip. And, and, then, uh, and then he and Mohammed became good friends, and they used to go down to the Mercato there, the, uh, the, the market. And they and they used to buy and they used to come back so proud that they could buy one pair of shoes. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And then what happened was Tomeskin, how I got to know him, is Tomeskin was adopted by my attorney, Mary Louise Cohen, in, in Washington, DC. And that's when I met Tomeskin, and as soon as he learned English, we became friends, close friends. And because he was a believer in all the conversations, Tomeskin, you've been adopted into a Jewish family, and let me tell you what that means. And I says, you know, they don't, they don't believe in Christ. And all I remember so much as innocent eyes. Why? Anyway, <laughs> uh, we had a lot of discussion. I told him, I said, I'll tell you why. He said, I don't know. But Temeskin was just amazed to have come from this extreme poverty in a mud hut to wealth living in a multi-million-dollar house on Military Avenue in Washington, D.C., And and going and getting things like an iPod and a watch and having a having a closet full of clothes. Yeah, he had a closet. He has a closet of clothes in Ethiopia, and they happen to be on his back. That's the only clothes he had. But then all of a sudden he's there and he's learning all these things. He's going to a school, that, a high school, that costs $40,000 a year in tuition. And he's just like learning things and seeing things he's never seen before. And for the first time in his life, he'd never happened to it before. He saw the ocean, Ethiopia's landlocked. He saw the ocean and he caught a fish. <laughs> caught a fish. Ethiopians don't eat fish. And they caught a fish, you know, and, and, and that was just wonderful. And he swam in the ocean f- for the first time. He became a good swimmer with one leg. And he saw snow for the first time. And he played in it. And and he got to ride a horse for the first time. And everything was just just fantastic with him. And, and it was just such a wonderful thing as he was discovering one thing after another. It was like a kid that was being born. And then he he he, he um and so I taught Tomeskin some hymns in English. And then he, he said, well, I don't have any. So he began to write hymns in Amharic, in the Ethiopian language. And then he got a guitar, and he learned to play the guitar. And he loved to play the guitar. And he played the guitar for me and sing his songs and teach and tell me what they meant. And then he began to explain to me that back in his church, back in Ethiopia, they didn't have any musical instruments. They didn't have any hymns. They had no no music, no songs to praise God, no musical instrument. That's why he got a guitar, and he wrote hymns, and he told me the words of the hymns, which were all about the greatness of God and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and of course now he has glasses on, but he had beautiful eyes that would sparkle with delight as he told me how he could not wait to to get his education over with in that $40,000 a year school, and then he was going to return to his church back in Ethiopia with his guitar and his hymns, and he was going to teach the church how to sing hymns of praise to God. And we got close, and, and, and like Jonathan and David close, and, and, and everything was going great, but Tomeskin's cancer came back. And Mary Louise and Bruce Cohen, they did everything for him. They took Tomeskin to the best cancer centers, to the National Cancer Institute in Bethesda, to the George Washington University Cancer Center, to St. Jude's, and his cancer would not stop. And as they gave Temeskin super high doses of methotrexate chemotherapy, Temeskin told me he couldn't take it any longer. And when they would come into his hospital room to give him more methotrexate, he would pull the covers over his face and they would still give it to him until finally he locked himself in the bathroom, in the hospital, and he would yell, no, no. And so it was decided, okay, no more chemo. And Temeskin was glad. And they cleaned up Tomeskin's port and his, his chest and showed him how to keep it sterile and told him that, you, Temeskin, you can make one last trip now back to Ethiopia. And he asked his oncologist, would she go to Ethiopia with him and his cancer nurse at George Washington University Hospital? And they did. And they all went back. It was a big entourage of people that went to Ethiopia. And, and, and then he asked me, would I go to Ethiopia? Well, I've got to be honest with you. At first, you know, I said, Ethiopia? I don't know. No, I don't think Ethiopia. No. Uh, but then he said, uh, Bruce Cohen is going. Bruce is Jewish, and, and Mary Louise is not. Bruce Cohen, I always wanted to get to know Bruce because he was the chief legal, legal advisor for Patrick Leahy at that time the Democrats had the Senate. Patrick Leahy was in charge of the Judicial Committee. <clears throat> so, so, so and he was never home working. I always wanted to get to know Bruce. So he said, Bruce is going, Bruce? I said, I'll go. I don't care if it's Antarctica. I'll go. So I said yes. It was my first trip to Ethiopia in 2007. And Temeskin, uh when we were there, Tomeskin looked at me and he said, would you bring the gospel to my people? And and, and, uh, and, 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 and um, and it was hard for Temeskin. I remember he opened up his English Bible, and he read this passage to me in Joshua 1.3. He says, you know, if you come back here to Ethiopia, he said, Joshua 1.3, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. And Temeskin told me that, you know, when I when, when you when you come back, come back to Ethiopia, and every step that you take in Ethiopia, I want you just to repeat those words, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given you. And I looked at Temeskin, and was, those eyes, and I told him, yes, I would. And that's why we have a company in Ethiopia, because I made a promise to my little buddy, my little Ethiopian buddy, Temeskin, and I also realized, as you, as you heard from that young missionary mother in the Nairobi airport, that God asked me to. It was going on, and it was very, very clear that Temeskin was going to die. And so I began to try to speak to my friend, uh, Temeskin, about heaven. And when I'd, when I'd start to talk about heaven, Temeskin would stop me, and he would say, No! I'm not going to die. He said, I'm just 15 years old, and I'm just beginning my life for God. And I have not gone back to my church in Ethiopia. I need to teach them my hymns and play my guitar for them. Don't talk to me about dying. I'm not going to die because God's going to heal me. I've seen him heal other people. And Temeskin, he had these reports of other people getting healed, and he used to keep them and read them and reread them. And Temeskin changed his whole view of the Bible. He'd get all excited, and he'd say, Tom, Tom, do you know what Jesus did? How he healed this person when he was blind, and he healed that person. It was really hard for Tomeskin to even think that he was going to die. And so I bought him a book. I bought him a 500-page book on heaven. And I said, here, Temeskin. He refused to open it. And, and I didn't know what to do. And I was sitting there struggling, and I, and I think, I need to prepare my little friend to die So so I told Temeskin, I said, Temeskin, I said, I want you to think. I want you to think now about your life. I want you to think really hard about how you were very, very, very poor living in a mud hut. And I want you to think about how you became very, very, very sick with cancer. And I want you to think about how someone very, very, very rich and wonderful, Mary Louise Cohen, came to you and adopted you. And, and I want you to think about how she took you very, very far away from your old home in Ethiopia to your new home in Washington, D.C. And I want you to think how wonderful it was. I want you to think about the sights that you never, ever, ever saw before, like the ocean and the snow. And it was wonderful. And I want, to think, I want you to think about the wonderful things that you did. You went fishing. You swam in the ocean. You played in the snow. And then I, and, and then I said, Tomeskin, it's going to be a repeat of the history. That's all. I said, it's all going to repeat again. You think that now in Washington, D.C., you're very, very rich now. You actually are very, very poor like before. And that cancer that made you very sick, it's come back. And again, it's made you very, very sick again. And just like before, someone very, very rich and wonderful, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come for you. And just like before, he's going to adopt you. And like before, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take you very, very far away from your home on earth. To a new home in heaven, it's going to be wonderful there. And just like before, you're going to see things in heaven that you never, ever saw before, and that's going to be wonderful. And just like before, you're going to do things that you never, ever did before, and it'll be wonderful. And and, and as I said all that, I thought to myself, as I said to it, that was really good. (laughs) I thought, that was great. As a matter of fact, I kind of sat there, and I was kind of marveling about how, wow, where'd that come from? I was thinking about it. And I looked at Temeskin, I said, wasn't that great, Tomeskin?" He just glared at me. <laughs> no, I told you I'm not going to die. He didn't agree. You know why he said that? You know why he said that? You know why he refused to hear one word that I said? Because it was really hard for Tomeskin to accept that he was going to die. And that's how Isaac felt at this time. It was really hard for Isaac to accept that he was going to die. And just like Temeskin, who was dying at the age of 15 and did, Isaac thought that he's too young to die. Just like Temeskin, who thought that he couldn't die now because he was just beginning his life for God, that was Isaac. Isaac. Isaac thought that he's just beginning his life for God, just like Temeskin, who had plans to play his guitar and to teach his poor church in Ethiopia all the hymns that he wrote. Isaac thought, I have plans. I have plans to get married and to have a family for God, just like my father did. It was really hard for Isaac to accept that he was going to die. So in verse 6, without any words exchanged, Isaac realizes he's the sacrifice. He's going to die. And we can imagine how at the end of verse 6, when Isaac had that wood in his hands, and Abraham, you know, Abraham with two hands. One hand, he had a knife. He had a knife. And the other hand, he had fire in his hand. And we can imagine how Isaac stopped on their way there when it kind of all came into, I'm going to die. I'm the sacrifice. And he stops, and Abraham stops, and Abraham waits for Isaac to make his decision, and then Isaac made his decision to go. And the Bible describes that decision, that silent decision that was made at the end of verse 6 with those simple, beautiful words, and they went, both of them, together. They went, both of them, yachad, having become united. And they walked off toward Mount Moriah. Abraham decided to sacrifice his son, his only son whom he loved. Isaac walked off toward Mount Moriah, decided to be the burnt offering sacrifice. And from that picture, we see, we understand how the heavenly father, how the heavenly Abraham, God the father, moved in history toward Mount Calvary where he would sacrifice his son, decided. And from that picture, we see and understand how the heavenly Isaac, the Lord Jesus Christ, moved in history toward Mount Calvary, decided that he would be the sacrifice. And the beauty of that scene is expressed in that one word, yachad, The two had become united in their decision. For Abraham and Isaac, the decision was for Isaac to become the sacrifice. And verse 6 means when it says they both of them went together. That was it. For God the Father and God the Son, the decision for the Lord Jesus Christ to become the sacrifice for you and me was they went both of them yachad together. And for all eternity, we're going to be marveling over verse 6 how God the Father and God the Son went both of them together on their way to Mount Calvary, where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners were slain, where, where he devoted that sacred head for sinners, for a worm as I, for such a worm as I. So in verse 7, there's a pause with Isaac, and, I, and then Isaac speaks. He speaks in verse 7. Isaac spake unto his father Abraham, unto his, Abraham his father, And said, my father, he said, here am I, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac already knows. He really already knows from that silent language between him and his father. But now Isaac wants to break the silence and just have some communication with words. So Isaac pauses and he speaks. And at first he just wants an assurance of their relationship together. Nothing's changed. So he doesn't call him father. He doesn't say Abba. He doesn't do that, but he calls out with a possession, my father, Avi. He says, Avi. Reminds me of a dinner we had um, actually last Friday night where Lori, Lori Cable was, uh, was there with one of her 10 children, and it was her daughter, and, um, and she was just sitting there, and she, and she was just rubbing the hand very lovingly of her daughter and sent a message. So Isaac calls Abraham, Avi, my father, in a very loving way, very tender in this. He calls, he, calls, he says to Abraham, my father, and again, and again, we feel this tenderness that Isaac had in his heart when he calls, calls Abraham my father. And Abraham is so quick to respond. Abraham doesn't just say what he said to God, He nani, behold me. He, but Abraham returns with all that love and affection from being called my father. And, and he says, He nani He says, Here am I, my son. Behold me, my son. And and now that there's an assurance that the love hasn't changed, that nothing has changed in that bond of mutual love between the devotion between Abraham and Isaac, Isaac now opens up his heart and reveals the anxiety, and he he just wants to hear it verbally, just to make sure that he he hasn't misunderstood or misread the obvious. So Isaac asks this question of the obvious, obvious when he says, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And with that question, we can see Isaac first looking at Abraham's one hand, What does he see? He sees the fire, and he knows that's the fire that's going to ignite the wood that's going to burn up my body. And he looks at the wood in his arms, and he knows that this is the wood that will be ignited by the fire that will burn up my body. But Abraham has something else in his other hand, and it's the knife. And we can see Isaac, he looks at the knife, and he sees what's going to be used there to kill him. And as he does that, he thinks, That's the knife that's going to be plunged into my heart and cut my throat. And when Isaac sees the knife, he just turns away. He can't bear it. He turns away. He can't bear to mention it. That's the instrument that's going to kill him. And he turns away from the thought of the pain of dying. He can't bear to think about what what, what it's going to feel like, that cold steel blade plunging into his chest. And so we can see Isaac here turning away from the knife that's going to cause the pain. So in verse 7... Isaac doesn't say, behold the knife and the fire and the wood. Oh, Isaac can talk about the fire. Isaac can talk about the wood because at that point he knows he's going to be already dead and he's going to feel nothing when the fire burns up his body. But Isaac has never died before. Isaac's never felt a knife stabbing him in his heart, a a knife across his throat. It's too much for Isaac to even think about it. So he just avoids mentioning the knife at all. And we can feel the terror that Isaac is feeling as he looks at the knife, and we can understand what, that I, why Isaac doesn't talk about the knife in verse 7. It's just too much. It's not that he's not thinking about the knife and the pain that he'll experience with the death with no morphine, but he's, he, but he's thinking a lot about it. He just doesn't want to talk about it right now. But the Lord Jesus also thought a lot about the pain that he would suffer as he was put to death, and the Lord Jesus did talk about that terrible death that he would suffer when he said to his disciples in Matthew 16:21 Matthew 16:21 from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day in Luke eighteen thirty-one, Luke eighteen thirty-one, Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished, for he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and he shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spit on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. When Isaac looked at that knife, he just couldn't talk about it. And Isaac felt the pain, but he couldn't talk about it. When the Lord Jesus spoke about, about being mocked, the Lord Jesus felt the pain of being mocked. And when the Lord Jesus spoke about being spit on, the Lord Jesus felt the spit in his face, as it says in Isaiah 50, verse 6. Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, and I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And when the Lord Jesus spoke about being scourged, he felt the Roman whip that was going to tear the flesh off of his body and leave his muscles exposed in a bloody pulp. And when the Lord Jesus spoke about being put to death, he felt the nail of the cross being driven through his hands and his feet. And when he spoke about all of his sufferings, he felt it all. He felt the terror. He felt the pain of dying as the sacrifice. And when Isaac looked and saw the knife, he refused to mention it. Isaac felt it all. He felt the terror and the pain. And he just wants a confirmation that he already knows that he's really going to be the sacrifice. And so he says says his question in verse 7, where's the lamb? And with that question, that Isaac asked, he doesn't even know. He has asked the great question that will be prophetic for his people, the Jewish people, for thousands of years. We are in the year 5,779 today, Rosh Hashanah. He asked the question that every seeking Jewish person will ever ask if they're gonna find God's salvation, God's Yeshua, God's Jesus.
1: Santee, California, nine two zero seven one. Or email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor at Friendship dot org. Tom Cantor at Friendship dot org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at eight hundred two four seven three zero five one.
0: What are you doing Sunday nights?